Low Creek family. Yeah, it's good to be here with you again. And as Matt was saying, my name is Seba Vasquez, and I'm here with my family. Maybe you know Ron and Kay Davis. They're my uh, in-laws, and um, we're here together. And thank you for having us. Uh, Matt was mentioning that you guys um, have been longtime supporters of us, and our ministry has really changed from um, being in Canada for a while to now in the UK. And so it's really good to be here. Um, it feels like home when we come, although I got to say the heat is a little bit insane <laughs> this summer. I don't know. Someone needs to turn the air conditioning on or something outside. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. But I want to show you what life in the UK looked like. So I have a few slides of um, what it looks like. We're going to talk about the Good Shepherd later, but just a couple of things of uh, what life looks like for us. So this is kind of what people imagine when they see London. It's um, a big city. It's full of all kinds of adventures, and this is my family up there. They're right here. By the way, it was my wife's birthday earlier this week, so say happy birthday to my wife over there. Yeah. Lord's blessed me with an incredible wife, because not only, it, it's, this is a true story. On her birthday, it was actually National Thrift Store Day as well, and she said, yes, because uh, she loves shopping at thrift stores, and my heart and my wallet love that so much, so... Um, but we have an amazing life in the UK, but to tell you the truth, it's not really London. We live about 30 minutes south of London uh, next to a training center. So in the next slide, it's a little more accurate of what our life actually looks like. We live in a small village uh, right next to Gatwick Airport. We have a training center there that we bring all kinds of people in to do some training. As Matt was saying, we train missionaries who work all throughout Europe. Um, and it's also a great chance for us to kind of travel to different parts of Europe and see what they're up to. Um, so this is a little bit more of what life looks like. In the next slide, this is a church that I'm partnering with called Christ Central. Um, they've got a coffee house on the bottom, and then their church levels on the top. And it's a really neat place. In fact, uh, when they signed the lease, they didn't realize that Charles Spurgeon actually bought that building in Red Hill, um, where we live, because he thought it'd be a great place to plant a church. But he never got a chance to plant a church there. And so this plant came in and, and kind of finished the job for him put a church there, and I've got some partners there that we're working with, um, and we're in talks about maybe starting some new micro churches in surrounding villages. So I went from working in a very urban uh, place in Toronto to now living in a village right outside of London. It's different for us, but uh, one thing that hasn't changed has been your love and support. You guys have been directly involved in some really neat things that we've been doing, so let me just share that since 2021, We've trained 20 new team leaders, and about 150 new missionaries were onboarded. And I know that those numbers may not mean much to you, but just realize that we ask missionary teams to adopt areas of 8 to 10 million people. And so when we talk about 20 new team leaders and 150 new missionaries, the impact of that is exponential. So the bang for buck that you get from your support is, is amazing in what the Lord is doing uh, throughout Europe. On top of that, I work for the International Mission Board. Just globally, I wanted to share with you uh, something that you've been a part of. So uh, since 2021, um, 500,000 people, more than 500,000 people have heard the gospel. We've had uh, more than 100,000 people be baptized, and we have 22,000 new churches since 2021 as a result of the work that you're supporting. So give yourself a hand. Good job, church, and what you're doing. Um, so again, thank you. Now, it's, it's been a while since I've been able to come back. I, I actually came in October to your Missions Fest, and that was a, a lot of fun to be able to share. Sophia and I, my eldest daughter, were here together, but it's been four years since my whole family was here, and, and Lucy walked in, and 
uh, my littlest one, and I said, do you remember Pastor Matt? She says, no, because last time she was here, it was, she was three years old, and I realized I'm going to have to prepare her for, like, Texas again. She hasn't been in Texas in four years. So I was thinking, like, how can I explain Texas to a young lady who was born in Canada and then raised in uh, the UK, really? So I found this, um, this one story online that I thought pretty accurately described some of uh, what Texas can be like. Now, you're going to notice that this lady on the left, she's okay. Uh, she has recovered. So it's okay for us to kind of look at this and smile. Um, but it literally says there, Texas woman seriously injured after hawk drops snake on her. I don't want to get this wrong, so I'm just going to read what the story says there. It says, Peggy Jones, 64, was mowing her lawn last month when a passing hawk dropped a snake on her before swooping down to angrily try to reclaim its meal. The snake wrapped itself around her arm and began striking her face as the bird sunk its talons deep into its flesh. So basically... I was, what happened to this lady, she's out mowing the grass, and a hawk drops a snake on her, it wraps around her arm, as she's trying to fling it off, it is biting her face while the hawk is trying to rip her arm off. I said, Lucy, that is basically Texas, right there. <laughs> the only thing more Texas would have been if, if she was open carry and she just unloaded a few rounds <laughs> into both the snake and the hawk. And I said, that's, that's really Texas. Or, you know, in this weather, if the snake was on fire, that would be what Texas is really like. But, you know, it's a, it's a real reminder that we live in a broken world where snakes fall from the sky and start biting your face off. And so I'm going to share with you a little tool before we get into our um, text. I want to share with you a tool that we use to share the gospel that actually starts with the idea that um, the world is a broken place. It's called snakes falling from the sky. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. It's called three, the three circles. And basically what it says is that we live in a world that's broken and it's not hard to see that. There's all kinds of brokenness around us from said story to uh, things like, I was just in a prayer meeting right before this um, and someone was talking about that they just this week lost their job and, and we, we realized that there's some brokenness around us. Um, we get bad diagnosis sometimes from the doctor. Maybe you've gotten one for someone in your family this year. Uh, we see the wars and the conflict around us. You know, one thing that really changed in Europe was Russia invading Ukraine, and that kind of set everything uh, into instability throughout Europe. But there's all kinds of brokenness that we see out there in the world, but we also see inside of us, don't we? Sometimes the selfishness that we kind of perceive in ourselves or our bad motives, even in good things. And man, I'm just drawing these cracks because it's just obvious that we live in a broken world. Uh, but what's also obvious is there's a lot of beauty in this world. And um, it's because originally when God designed this world, uh, he created it to be in harmony with him. Like we were in harmony with God. Uh, we were in harmony with one another. We were in harmony with creation. So God's, God's design was this beautiful uh, world that we get to be a part of. And I, and I always give examples of this. Of Maybe you can think of one too. What, what, do, what do you see that reminds you that this is a beautiful world? One of the things that I think about is the fact that my 13-year-old daughter still lets me hold her hand on walks. And when that happens, I think, oh, this is a beautiful world. And so there is this good and there's this brokenness in the world. And, and listen, we, we feel this all the time, but we, we kind of remember this because we lived this way for a while as creation. Um, but, of course, that changed when sin entered the world. 
And so we left God's design and entered brokenness. And I basically define sin as putting my way over God's way. And so we were here for a while, and now we've entered into this broken world, and we're constantly trying to escape because we have memories of this beautiful way that it ought to be. We see the brokenness, and we think this isn't how it should be, so we're always trying to escape this. And we, we try all different kinds of ways to escape brokenness. A lot of people self-medicate. That's not just chemical. That could be Netflix, the way that you try to self-medicate, just to numb your brain a little bit, to, to escape from distraction. Sometimes we do this by just thinking, if I have enough, if I have enough money, if I have the right job, if I have enough power, then I won't feel broken anymore. Um, and other things that we try to do sometimes is relationships. Um, we think if we could just get that right guy or that right girl, or even relationships like if I could just win the approval of this person in my life, my father, my mother, this important mentor of mine, I won't feel so broken. You know, another thing that oddly, you're going to think it's odd that I say this, but some of the ways that people try to escape brokenness is actually by being super religious and being such a good person that they think they can work their way back into God's design. And that didn't work either. And I drew those little squiggly lines because they're supposed to be like rubber bands that, you know, you, you can escape the feeling of brokenness just momentarily and then it just snaps right back and we're right back in it. The, the distraction goes away. The money brings more problems. Uh, the relationships, that person can't give you what you're truly desiring and can't fix you. And even being super religious and keeping all the rules doesn't really work out. I mean, there's tons of history of that. And so God sees us stuck here in all these ways that we want to escape, but he wants us to experience this. So this was his plan. This is just basically the gospel, guys, that Jesus came down and he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sin and our brokenness, and that he raised again after three days in new life to prove that he was stronger than sin and brokenness. And so Jesus said that if you repent, of our brokenness and our sin and believe in him, but not just believe that he was a person that actually existed, like believe in him historically, but believe in the way that like we, we make him the boss or the king of our life. We give him the authority that he deserves. If we believe in him in that way, that we can recover and pursue God's design again. That's basically the gospel, right? That is the gospel. Now, the thing is, those of us who have done that, put our faith in Christ, we've made him the king, the boss of our life. We're now living in God's design. We're back in harmony with God. The truth is, though, we still live in a broken world, and that's intentional. God leads us back into the broken world to help others understand how to leave brokenness. And so with that in mind, I'd like to talk to you about our story today in The Good Shepherd. So we're going to go to John chapter 10 verses 1 to 21. I'm going to read that. And before we read that, let me just encourage you to do three things. One is just remember this. I'm sorry. God gave me a love for whiteboards, but terrible handwriting. So I know it's kind of fuzzy up there, but just remember this. Um, secondly, in context, just remember that in John, there are seven I am statements. Jesus gave these seven I am statements you're going to find two of those I am statements in this passage. So this is an important passage. These I am statements are very important. They mimic the, the actual name of God, I am. And they're self-declarations that Jesus made about himself. And so you're going to find two of these I am statements in this passage. So you'll be listening for those. 
And uh, lastly, just realize that this came um, right on the heels of Jesus healing a blind man in a way that the Pharisees didn't really agree with. And so there's a lot of questioning going on of what was going on here. And they were reacting to this healing of a blind man on the Sabbath and questioning basically Jesus' credentials. And so this is where we pick up the text, John chapter 1, I mean John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. I'll read it to you. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate, uh, opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon really open up the eyes of the blind? Referring back to what had just happened in the chapter before, in John chapter 9. So I've got three things here, three little observations that I'm going to pull from the text, and then we're going to talk about some of the tensions. I love the fact that this series is called Tensions, um, because I'm going to show you there's some tensions in this text that we have to deal with. But here's three simple observations that I see, especially from the I am statements, okay? First of all, we're seeing that Jesus brings up the subject of his legitimacy. When he talks about I am the gate, he's, he literally says, I'm the only way to be saved. I'm the only one that could do this. I, I, and he, he clarifies, I am not the thief, I am not the robber, I am not the stranger. And so for me, this is like an important moment right here where we talked about the only true way out of brokenness is through Jesus Christ. And everybody else who comes in is either a thief, a robber, or a liar, or a stranger just trying to sell you ways to get out of brokenness. But he's saying, look, this legitimacy is important. He, in the opening section, he starts with talking about strangers and thieves and robbers and ends in the same way. He's, he's really concerned about those who are coming in 
trying to get a gathering of broken people and, and sell them a bill of goods, tell them some other way to not be broken anymore. And he's saying, no, that doesn't work. I am the only legitimate way out of brokenness. I'm the only cure for sin and, and its effects on the world. There's only one way. There's one shepherd, one flock. And so the legitimacy, I think, is really tied to this I am the gate statement. Another thing I noticed here is he's talking about his leadership and his leadership style. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he talks about how he, he's leading through love and sacrifice. There's this leadership of not him barking out orders, but him speaking to his sheep, his sheep recognizing his voice and responding to him. And then it goes on to talk about laying down his own life. And this paints a picture of what Jesus' leadership looks like. So not only is Jesus the way out of brokenness, but as we live in God's design, he's the one that leads us through that. He shows us how to live in God's design. He uses his word to do that. He uses the Holy Spirit to do that. His spirit inside of us. He's the one that's guiding us through this new life. And so these are strong themes about his legitimacy, but also his leadership and what that looks like. And finally, his authority. I love this uh, part because it, the authority that he's talking about, he kind of references towards the end of the text. I mean, it, it's not an authority like the authority he has over the sheep. He's actually talking about the authority he has over his own actions. He's saying like, hey, no one, it's not like I'm a shepherd who is leading you and then some kind of wolf came and, and wiped me out and I'm a victim. He said, I laid down my life. I had the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to pick it up. And he's referencing his death and resurrection. He is foreshadowing that to them. And this authority, man, this authority is what actually sets up. It, it gives him his legitimacy. It gives him his leadership. This is a rich text. And listen, read it. Enjoy it. Look at those I am the good shepherd. I am the gate statements. Realize he says each one of those twice. So this is premeditated. I mean, he's not letting it slip out there. He's, he's making a point of it. I am the gate. I'm the way out. And I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that can lead you. And this is what that looks like. And listen, there's so many people, so many thieves and robbers and strangers that try to get a gathering of people who don't lead like Jesus. And they promise all kinds of relief from brokenness in all different ways, whether it's political, or whether it's through influencing on, on social media, whatever. There's all kinds of people who make promises of how they're going to help you deal with brokenness. And none of them are as legitimate as Jesus. None of them lead like Jesus. None of them have the authority of Jesus. This is an awesome text for today's world. So let me help you and... Um, navigate some tensions in this text though, because that's the name of the series, it's tension. So we're gonna look at some of these tensions that we see even within this text, okay? You with me? All right. So we're gonna talk about how the fact that in the Good Shepherd we find our protection. That is a theme that we see here. We find protection in the Good Shepherd. But here's the tension point, okay? We find protection in the Good Shepherd, but we don't find immunity from hard times. You gotta think about what it is he's protecting us from. Following Jesus and making him the good shepherd of your life does not mean that you are immune from hard times. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Hardships still happen. Snakes still drop out of the sky, right? 
And maybe you had a snake drop out of the sky this week. Something totally unexpected. You're just out trying to do your lawn. And something happened. Uh, maybe you're dealing with that. You can testify that following the good shepherd doesn't make you immune from hardship. Um, and I think that that begs the question, so what does the good shepherd protect us from? I mean, if he doesn't protect us from the tough things of this world, then what exactly is he doing? What is he protecting us from? Well, first of all, he's protecting us from false hope. There's nothing worse than going through a hard time and then putting your stock in false hope and then getting burned twice. So the first thing he's doing is protecting us from those who are offering false hope. But more importantly to me, I think, is that he's offering us protection from separation from him. You see, what he's actually protecting you from is that nothing, no hardship, no hard time you're going through can separate you from him. Romans 8.35 is awesome, because it says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? It says, can trouble, can hardship, can persecution, can famine, can nakedness, can danger, can sword, can snakes from the sky, can bad news at work, can a health diagnosis, something up with my child, something in my marriage, can that separate us from the love of Christ? If you know the end of that chapter, you know the answers are resounding. No, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from him. He protects us from being separated from him. And that's the image of the sheep and the shepherd just stuck together like glue. And you might be thinking, like, is that, is that really worth it? I mean, why wouldn't he just protect us from all the bad stuff? And then we'd never get separated from him. And, and listen, there is something important about knowing someone won't leave you during hard times. And maybe you don't understand that just yet, but if you've ever been through a hard time and had someone leave you, leave you high and dry, you know the value of someone who will stay with you, someone who will walk with you. You know the value of that. And listen, it, just to paint a picture for you, like once we have faith in Christ, we get to live in God's design for eternity. So for most of our existence, I mean, for 99.99% of our existence, there is gonna be no hardship. There's gonna be no inflation, thank God, right? There's not gonna be those weird notices from work last minute telling you bad news. There's not gonna be that news from that loved one whose health has taken a turn for the worse. For 99.9% .9 of our existence, all those things are gone. But in this life, in this life, we get to experience some of those things because there are some things you can only learn on hard days. There's some things you can't learn on the good days. Uh, there's some things about God, some things about yourself, some things about the beauty of community that you can't learn on the good days. You gotta learn them on the bad days. And that's why in this lifetime, God allows those hardships to continue. And in fact, he uses them to grow you, to help you minister to others, to even receive glory. You know, I live in the UK, it rains there a lot, you can imagine that, you're probably jealous, thinking, I'd like a little bit of that rain right now. Well, an important decision I made, like going to the UK, is I gotta get a good raincoat, and listen, there's things online that'll just talk to you all day about how good the raincoat is, and there are people who try to sell you how good the raincoat is, but there's only one way to really figure out how good the raincoat is, right? What do you gotta do to figure out how good that raincoat is? 
You gotta put it on and you gotta walk out in it. You know, we don't have a garage culture where you can drive from one garage to the other. I mean, the people are walking in the rain all the time and sometimes in order to really know how good the code is, you gotta walk out in it. And you know what? Sometimes to really know how good the good shepherd is, how good Jesus is, sometimes you gotta walk out in it a little bit. It's not pleasant, but you get to know how good he really is. So, Here's my application point to you. You're going through one of those hard times right now. I want you to just do this. I I want you to, even before you pray for that hard time, that hardship to stop or be removed from your life, before you do that, which I don't, I mean, I don't blame you if you do that. I don't blame you if you say, Lord, this is a hard time. Please make it stop. Take it away. I'm not mad at you for doing that, but I'm, I'm just asking before you do that, pray this. Lord, can you use this to help me trust you more? Can you use this to help me learn about you more, to help me love you more? Ask him to do that, even before you ask him to remove your hardship. All right, so that's one tension. I mean, we find our protection in him, but we don't necessarily find uh, you know, immunity from hardship. Here's another thing. We find our guidance with the good shepherd. That's a big theme in there. He's our guide. We find our guidance with the good shepherd, but it's a guidance for his will, not ours. And there's the tension. Like, it, it doesn't work where the fact that you're just telling the good shepherd, hey, this is where I'd like to go. Um, now you give us directions on how to get there. That's not what walking with Jesus looks like. That's what your GPS is like, right? I mean, it's funny how tech changes this. We get into the car, we're like, I'd like to go to Dane's Barbecue. <laughs> what, what, what if your GPS just said, nah, nah, we're not gonna do that. Let's go to McDonald's instead. How quickly would you delete that app from your phone. I mean, we're used to this. We're programmed to this. That I, pu- I punch it in, and then the GPS's job is to help me get there, but I'm the one punching it in. I'm the one putting it in the destination. Listen, a lot of times we're carrying that over into our relationship with God. And we're saying to him, God, this is where I want to go. This is the kind of job I want to have. This is who I want to marry. Tell me how to do that. Lord, this is what I want my life to look like. Tell me how to get there. And I want to tell you, this is a tension you have to deal with. We find guidance with the good shepherd, but for his will, not ours. Listen, if Jesus can go to the Father in a crucial moment and say, not my will, but yours be done, there in the garden, then I think the same expectation is for us. That once we're following the good shepherd, we say, hey, God, I know my temptation here, the way I'm kind of wired in my life is for me to be in charge and, and maybe just tell you what I want and you tell me how to, how to get there, but not my will, but yours. What do you want out of my life? And that's a tough thing to do. Sometimes you've been burned so bad by trusting people that you don't want to trust them with the destination. You want to be in control of that. I get it. I get it. A lot of the problems from that first tension of like, you know, having hardships in our life have kind of made us weary of trusting anybody else with the destination of our life. But the terms that Jesus offers is, I'm the good shepherd, but I'm the one that's gonna say where we're going. And I will tell you how to get there, but it's gonna be where I'm going. We gotta think of that. So the application there is for you to just kind of say to the Lord as a good shepherd, not, God, this is what I want to do. How do we get there? But where do you want to lead me, Lord? Where do you want to lead me? So our last tension I'd like to talk to you about is 
that in, with the good shepherd, we find our peace. We find our peace with him. The fact that we have protection uh, and the fact that we have guidance actually gives us peace. But not in action, not in activity. I mean, when my dad was taking a nap when I was a kid and he said, give me some peace and quiet, what he meant was just quiet and don't do anything, don't move, don't make a sound. But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is offering. Not of inactivity, of inaction, of just staying quiet. You see, Jesus wants to lead us in peace, but it's through action, being on mission. You notice in the story, it's funny, I think people get this one confused a lot, that there's this pen that all the sheep are in, the good shepherd walks in, rallies his sheep, and he doesn't stay in the pen. He leads them out. He says, the pastures are out there, folks. I came in there and I, I, I spoke to my sheep and they recognized my voice and then I lead them out. You, you understand, right? The image here is that the shepherd and the flock spend most of their time outside of the pen, in the world, out where the dangers are, but out where the pastures are too. That's the image. So we find our peace in the good shepherd, but we don't find inactivity. We find mission. Because again, on mission is where we kind of show obedience to God. That's how he grows us. That's how he feeds us. That's the green pastures of, of how he feeds us when we're obeying him, when we're trusting him. When it's hard to be a Christian outside these walls, yeah, well, that's where the Lord wants to grow you. That's where he wants to guide you. That's where you'll grow. And there's also that idea of that's where the lost sheep are. Remember, there's this interesting thing. Do you remember when we, we talked about it there in, in one of the texts? It talked about, like, I've got other sheep who aren't of this pen, and I gotta find them so we can have one flock, one shepherd. You see, out in the world, it's where the lost sheep are. And the reason why he leads us out of the pen and not just into holy huddles, but he leads us out of the pen is because that's where the pastures are, but that's where the lost sheep are. And I'm so thankful that this church has continued to do their serve Sundays where they literally close down the church and say, you need to get out there in the pastures. There's lost sheep out there that need to join the flock. Go find them. Go work with them. This is a church that's committed to that. And you need to be committed to that too personally. You know, um, one of the things that we talk to our missionaries about a lot is that there's this tendency to kind of flip our whole job around. So I've got a slide up here that talks about um, the normal missionary flow. Okay, this is what the normal missionary flow should look like. That those with the gospel leave where they are, jump over language and cultural barriers to get to those in the harvest. That is the normal missionary flow. That's what should happen. But unfortunately, what can happen if we don't have a, you know, flock leaves the pen mentality, is that we can reverse the missionary flow. The next slide which actually makes the lost people are the ones who are leaving home and they're jumping over language and cultural barriers, things that when they come to church, they have no idea what's happening in order to hear the gospel. Do you understand how it's so easy for us to flip the missionary flow and actually make lost people the missionaries, that they've got to leave home to get to us instead of us leaving the pen with the good shepherd looking to add to that one flock, one shepherd. I'm thankful that you are not a church like that, but I gotta tell you, it's easy as members, individual members, to kind of slip into that way of thinking. 
well, I'll just be nice to everybody who comes to church. Well, actually, I think the Lord wants you to go talk to that lost person at your work about life, about the gospel. Or maybe that person in your family. Or that person at school. So guys, those are three tensions I think that we have to wrestle with as we are looking into this story. One is we have protection with the good shepherd, but not immunity. And we have guidance, but for his will, not ours. And we have peace, but not inactivity. We are on mission with him. Can I pray with you? Because maybe you're going through one of those three things. Father God, I just feel like there's someone in this room that got a snake dropped on them this week. Lord, I already can confirm that. I heard something before service. And Lord, we ask that you would, uh, I know it's hard. We, we wanted to tell you to go, like make it go away, whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever the hardship we're going through. But before we do that, help us to just whisper in faith, Lord, can you use it to help me love and trust you more? Maybe someone here tonight needs to do that. Father, I also think that there's a lot of us who are very used to being in charge. Now, we want to let you guide us in the things that we want to do, but you're actually asking for surrender. Father, on the chart we just drew out on the board, we said that the definition of sin was my way over God's way. We cannot bring that mentality into a relationship with you. We can't bring sin into a relationship with you. We've got to follow your way over our way. But Lord, it's hard to trust when you've been burned. It's hard to trust when it hadn't worked out before. So Lord, for that person that's struggling to let you lead, would you just soften their heart, Lord? Show them how good of a shepherd you really could be. And Father, for us who are kind of shy and we're thinking, well, we'll just let the lost people come to us. We've got an attractive building. We've got a nice, great, awesome preacher. We've got a lot of things going on. We'll just let them come to us. Father, help us not hang out in the pen. Help us to go out into the world. Father, where the pastures are, where the lost sheep are, we're a flock on the move, out in the world, engaging those in brokenness. Father, help us to be that every day when we're at work, sometimes when we're at home, maybe when we're at school. Help us to be engaging those who need the good shepherd. Father, I pray these things because I believe you can answer them. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.